we do now have a name that is probably worth mentioning. Um, while true talk, nearly nearly failed to say the while there. Nearly while oh. while <laughs> <laughs> true talk. What do you think of the name? Well, I picked it with you, so I think <laughs> I think uh, we both picked it together. But yeah, I know I'm quite happy with it. I liked I liked our uh, creative process around the name actually. Yeah, I can't remember. I can't your remember. sheet of words basically <laughs> nerdy words yeah, yeah that's what it was i've had a lot of feedback telling me that it's too nerdy the name uh, i think it's perfect because it, the name is too nerdy yeah but i think i think it's perfect i think if, yeah. you're, if you're doing a podcast for programmery types like you philip then yeah. that's what you want while while i did have to i did have to explain to, to a friend of ours who we play uh pubg with oh yeah yeah i said the name and he just was like glazed blank and i was he's like a, he's a doctor yeah and which is understandable <laughs> but um but I really I like the way it goes with the logo as well. But I yes. really I really thought we'd come up with a really bad name and, and yeah, logo. it would be terrible. It's gone better, and it's gone better than I thought. Yeah, and then also picking the the, the, the catchy uh, jingle as well. The jingle, which was probably the hardest part of this entire podcast process so far for me, <laughs> yeah. listening to about five hundred jingles, all of which were rubbish. Yeah, <laughs> so. and again, you just giving me a short list, and me then clicking through. Literally on, I think it was uh, Christmas Eve Eve. Being like going through listening, just oh. pond five and oh. all that stuff. It was just a nightmare. It was. It wasn't. But um, hopefully, it's it's okay. Yep. Hopefully, uh, you like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it feels a bit more real now. I guess it does. Now we have a name, and it, and obviously the name is because we do go on a bit. So yeah, while, like while true, yeah, talk, <laughs> and it is now released. Um, and we've had a few people listen to it, so hopefully we'll get some nice. Find us in your podcast app. Friendly. You can leave feedback. us reviews on iTunes, Philip. If you want, can you? Only nice ones. Yeah, you're allowed to. It does actually have a review system. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Oh, next we'll be saying we need a little Reddit uh, subreddit sub- so sub- we can Reddit. people can abuse us there. Yeah, I don't know if I'm ready to open myself up to that <laughs> level of abuse. A couple. We've of... been there before and been burned. <laughs> I've been issued with enough abuse already from my friends. <laughs> Randos, random random randos abusing yeah. me. Um, so. Last week's episode was a bit odd because we'd actually pre-recorded the main topic of that before, which was about programming interviews. Is there anything you want to follow up on on that? Or I don't think so, no. I think we... I Having listened back, I was actually pretty happy with the end summary. Mm. It took us a while to get there, as is often the case, but I I thought, yeah, I think that was pretty... And I, and I had quite a few people say, yeah, that was kind of pretty much it. So that's... It's solved. Solved. Yeah. Solved. So, so you'd had feedback. People agreed with our summary, or by and large, yes. I think, I think there was some feedback of perhaps they like to test them on a few different ways, like a few different languages or something. Mm. But which I guess, if you had a job which required a few different languages, yeah. But I, but that was it, really. All right. How about you? What did you think? Yeah, I thought it, I I listened to it back and was quite happy with our summary our discussion i guess but i mean we, we i was part of it so i guess I have we're to very happy with yeah it. we're very happy with it. but um no I, th- I thought it was i thought it was i thought it was good i thought you know i i i think it comes across in the podcast my frustration with some of the classical interview te- you know oh, techniques yeah. and, and i don't want to you know we don't need to go over them again but i think the reason for that is due, is just pragmatism um, and i probably say that word a lot but that's what i feel like i think there's a lot of um, theoretical uh, or you know high-reaching goals that people want to do achieve with these things that at the end of the day you just need to get the job done. Yeah. Um, and you know we're they not do, we're not in academia, so they don't always get 
yeah, to actually get people to join your company to program well for you, they don't always serve that goal. Mm. These very academic or strange whiteboardy things. Yeah. But yeah, it is interesting because it's not not necessarily the best feedback loop on interviewing. Yeah. It's quite easy to be quite lax about it. Be like, oh, our process is fine, even if it's not. <clears throat> the one thing I did want to ask you actually was, have any of the guys that you were helping find jobs listened to this and felt it, it was applicable or? Yes, I think they did. And one of them is still searching. So okay. he, I don't know if he's listened though. But yes, I think, I think they thought, they felt that, yeah, was pretty much what they'd experienced. Okay. So yeah, I don't, I don't think I have anything else to add. All right. Well, yeah, no, no I think I'm, I'm good as well. Let's crack on. 2019. 2019. Big year of podcasts. For us, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, today, you want to talk about testing. Testing. Which is a big, big topic. It is, yeah. Um, where do you want to start? I want to ask you if you write any tests. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good good starter for 10. Um, in my day job, I don't write tests. And I, I, I think I mentioned this to you the other day. It's mainly because I haven't written a unit test framework for KDB that I like. <laughs> because there is one and I don't like it mm-hmm. um, and I guess yeah I mean that's the honest summary even even core stuff I haven't done it um, what about yourself I don't either so we, we can just end it there yeah job done job don't, done don't bother don't bother but, um, no I, I don't and I have testing frameworks yeah you have no experience. I do sometimes sometimes rarely so this is what I was thinking right I was like I don't write tests and why don't I write tests and when do I so yes. my open source Java projects that I have on GitHub all do have tests. And that's because they are libraries and not, I wouldn't say frameworks, they're not probably big enough to be frameworks, but they're libraries. And I feel like for that sort of um, thing that you're releasing, I think it needs, you need to have some tests. I mean, not, you know, you know, you're never going to hit 100%, right? It's pretty hard to do that. Yeah. But they all have above... I don't know, forty percent test coverage or something to at least be like the efforts there. It's yeah, uh, because a lot of it's like a lot of it are like you know utility functions and things like that. So I guess it makes sense. But I guess it comes out. I you know I think then like application code. Is it work? Do you need to test every little bit of it? So there are some people in this world who. So the, part of the reason that I wanted to talk about this is because um, one of the people that used to work for me that's currently searching for a job mentioned that a lot of companies are basically judging him quite hard on whether he does TDD and whether he te- like can write tests. And I okay. realized when he was saying that, that actually, I think a lot of people in this industry, they associate writing tests and developers that write tests as being a quality developer. So if you don't write tests, mm-hmm. then... then like, you're a bit of a cowboy. Yeah, you're a cowboy. The implication is like... Ugh. And I think there's a different... I think both you and I can write tests and have written tests, but choose not to, which is perhaps a little bit different because obviously we're the highest quality mm. developers. <laughs> but but it was when he said that or when he was sort of implying that, I thought, oh, yeah, that is actually pretty true. And like a lot of companies, if you if you go there as a developer and they and they say, oh, do you write tests? And you say no, they're going to maybe judge you a little bit, I, I, is my feeling. Um, yeah, so there's, there's two things there I'd want to say. First thing is... Does everybody just say yes and lie? Oh, I assume so. Right. That's probably what. If it was me in that scenario, that I would, I would consider. Say. I would consider doing that. Yeah. yeah. And the second thing is, 
it was that I was thinking, just thinking about it then, I've never worked anywhere that I've even seen TDD be done. <laughs> so that's, what's, that's what makes me laugh about this, is that when he was telling me, oh, I'm going to all these places and they're asking uh, about tests, and I thought, how many of them do you think are actually practicing mm. that? Or how, It's kind of like you were saying earlier on, like it's like this magical higher standard that they're all... It's kind of like wishful thinking. They're like, we really should be writing tests. When we interview people, we're going to check for tests. And then, you know, then the project really needs to get done. It's like, are we going to write into tests? No, 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 <laughs> no. just get it done. Just get it done. With like half the, how the way most of the industry works. So, yeah, that's, that's the interesting thing, right? So if we're thinking about tests, say you've got a massive application, you, you want to be writing tests. I, I would think actually that perhaps that should be part of the code review it would be like... Mm. You make let the developer make subjective decisions about what which pieces he thinks need testing, and then you look at the code review and go, "Well, that's quite you know that's quite a core piece that we're going to you know say it's very reusable, yeah. or you know I don't know something that you know is called a lot of times. You might be like, look, maybe we should write some tests for this. Make sure this add function is definitely adding up because yeah. if this screws us over down the line, it's going to be a big problem yeah. for our bank. Say, how many tests have you written in the past? Perhaps we, that's as a more that's a better question. Yeah, so um, at uh, my second place I worked at after after my big investment bank job, I as part of that I did write a unit test framework for the KDV stuff we did there, and I did try and write tests with, for all the core functionality mm-hmm. that there was. But again, I'm being clear to mention core functionality because a lot of the business logic I, I I didn't write tests for because I don't know I just didn't feel like there was an necessarily a need to but it's hard now thinking about it again it's quite a while ago justifying why I thought that at the time but I was thinking more like core you know functions that are shared across all of my applications that I had yeah I'm like well I want to make sure that those have tests that I can validate so um I'm sorry just on the other thing then but on the java side I tend to be a bit more I tend to actually be a little bit better than that yeah I, I tend to be a little bit more aggressive at writing the odd test Mainly if, and again, that it's more of a subjective thing. If I've written a function that I'm like, oh, that's a bit iffy, or somebody might want to change this in the future, I want to write a test to make sure it breaks mm-hmm. because it's doing something that's not obvious. Yeah. Then I I would write a test oh, to protect clever. the future developer. I don't think about God. That's that's very good of you thinking about future, not even future <laughs> you, future someone else. I, I like that future Philip. Yeah, but yeah. I I don't write them anymore, and I used to write them. When I started my career, I don't think I really knew how to write them at all. Mm. Oh, we did learn at university actually in fourth year, kind half-heartedly. I didn't. I, I didn't feel like. Not, I, fe- I felt like I didn't really learn. No, yeah, then. that's how I. I kind of like knew they existed yeah. and had written some, and then I went through a period where I don't really read books, but I read or like because I can't remember who is it. Kent Beck that's really into this. It's one of those guys. I think it's Kent Beck. He wrote a book talking about TDD or Feathers or one of those guys. Mm. And they basically have this, I've seen this video where he's like doing TDD and he's like, first of all, we write a test. Then we write the minimal amount of code that makes that test pass. Even if that code is utterly stupid. Mm. Like it can be like you're writing a function for the mean and you say the mean of an array with just one in it is one. Yeah. And then so then you implement the mean function and you say return one. Yeah. This is the, I mean, I, I do have problems with TDD. And then you're like, <laughs> then you're like, okay, so now I've written a mean function which literally says return one. So it doesn't work in any other case unless the mean is one. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, I'll have the second test case which is like one comma two or like you yeah. just pass in two and now the answer's two. And so then you can write like, if 
if they pass an array with just one. And then at some point you write enough test cases that you just have to generalize the whole thing and write your mean function. But he takes it like crazy far. Mm. I think it's an interesting thought exercise. So, so the, the problem I have with that is the problem, oh, the, not a problem, but the way I think TDD has come about is that the, it feels like somebody's gone, you know what? We have developers writing loads of code and for some reason, none of them will write any tests after they've written it. So what happens if we just reverse that and make them write the test first, then write the code? I think... Because that does solve the problem. Yeah. But I don't think a lot of what you do when you're writing a function, because obviously you, the, the smallest thing you can test is a function, right? Yeah. You can't think about everything it's going to do until you've written it, I think. Because there's no design beforehand, right? You're not yeah. going in thinking, right, you know, and I know roughly what the function might do, but then I might write it, find that that doesn't really work, and then actually change the way the calling function you know, there's all that sort of the linking yeah. together. Of I those think functions. what TDD got right was if you relax. Well, so I don't know if TDD formally says you have to write the test first. I think a lot of people think that, but uh, I don't know whether it okay, does. Okay, I didn't know I, that. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe it does. But I know a lo- I know like a common interpretation of it is that you have to. Right. I, I think the idea of writing tests close in time, so when you yes. write the code, it's a very good idea. Yes. So you I don't agree. want to write some code and then three months later be like, now we're going to test it. I agree. Reason number one for that is that if you're working in a real company where they have like programmers, which they fondly name resources, and they are doing resource <laughs> management, then you say, well, Dave, I need to go and write those tests for that code we wrote three months ago. Never going to happen. And it's never going to happen because they've got a million other things they want to do. And what's the point in it Like, already works yeah. and they've all forgotten about it. So that's reason number one. If, you, if you're looking, just like kind of like a human hack. And the other reason is that like, actually, I think that's probably the main reason. I don't know if there's a, uh, I think it kind of helps because you just wrote the code. Yeah, you're familiar with it, right? And you, you know in your head, these are all the possible inter- outputs of this function. Yeah, right? inputs and outputs, yeah. So then you can be like, well, I'll just write them down. Like when I write, if I'm being really um, thorough, particularly for the framework um, or the library code that I've released, I'll be like, right, I'll have like null checks that throw a legal argument exception or something if, or if, if you pass those in. I'll write a test that will just make sure it throws that mm. because you get the coverage, which is, you know, nice. And it's just, you know, it just means that you've thought through Every single input and every single output. Yeah. If the input is null, you know. Covering those. So, so, yeah. So that's. that's, But I'm not advocating doing that for every line of code you ever write. Yeah. So the the main thing with testing that I wanted to say is that what's changed. So previously in my career, I used to, there was a period where I basically mandated that I had over 80, often over 90% coverage when I was writing Java. Yeah. On everything I wrote. Yeah. And I think my team at the time, I was quite early on in my career, first couple of years after university, I think they thought that I just probably lost my mind. And I built this system uh, for my boss at the time. And um, it, the deadlines were quite hard, like hard to meet. And I I was like, no, I'm going to, we're going to do this properly. So I like tested everything. And I had to work like evenings, weekends yeah, to get it done, <laughs> to get it done yeah, because yeah. I was writing all these tests. I did ask him in the pub like a couple of years later and he said that that system has actually just never broken. So maybe, <laughs> maybe it does work. But um, I think the thing that's changed that I've twigged. So when I went to my job after that, I was still writing quite a few tests and I went to a team that didn't really write any tests. They didn't have any builds uh, at that time. So 
I kind of added that and was like, oh, maybe we should write some tests. But then the thing I've realized over time is that just from like, I don't know if business perspective, but just like common sense, if you write some code that does a thing, say you write a function that calculates the mean, it's like an average, Mm. that might take you, you can't predict because it's software, but it might take you like, I don't know, 20 minutes to write, say, probably, hopefully not, but 20 minutes. If you write some tests to accompany your mean function, that's going to take you 20 minutes plus some extra amount of time. So the first thing you need to think about when you're thinking about this stuff is that tests are not free because when you write them, the asset you're delivering as a programmer is not just a function that does a thing. It's a function that does a thing and the tests that say that it does that thing. So you're delivering more stuff. So anybody that's like, I want a developer to write tests and implementation code and I want them to do it in the same time that they could just write the implementation code. That just doesn't make sense because no. they're delivering... They're delivering more. They're yeah. delivering more certainty. Yeah. And as with all things in like life and business, there's a trade-off there. It's that, a risk assessment, I guess. Yeah. To some degree, it's, right? it's, yeah, it's like a risk assessment. Like the cost is higher. And so then you have to think about what the... If you've got your actual code and the test code, what is the test code giving you? Yeah. And I think it gives, it gives you more certainty that that code works and does what you said it should do. Yeah. Assuming the, assuming the developer can write good tests, which is a separate problem. Yeah, yeah. If you've written some good tests, then you can be more sure. There's a high probability that function does what those tests say. Hopefully you've written good tests. Yeah. The second thing it gives you is that the developer can change that code and then be more sure that it still works, Yeah. which in certain scenarios will speed them up in the long term so you're like oh we need to change our mean function you know you can just go in there aggressively change it and go yeah it probably still works whereas if you hadn't you might need to do a bunch of manual testing and manual testing also takes time yeah so i think those those are the main sort of two things there are actually i think there are other things that tests can do for you as well that i've forgotten there's a couple of interesting points just there though whilst we're on that (laughs) i was thinking it's probably quite mean but you could you could do this so you could say i'm the developer writing the original average function and i'm not going to write tests but at the point where we need to make any change to it Mm -hmm. we then need to write tests to test what it did before make the change and then test what it did afterwards just in time testing yeah but obviously that fails your other point which was uh, you should write them close to the original implementation part part of the reason for that so part of the reason that i think that it's an interesting i've never thought about that idea the reason that that idea might not work in practice is that depending on what language you're in and what and how you write the code, it's possible to write implementation code that is not easily testable. Yes, yes. So you might write your average function and then be like, oh, we're just going to just-in-time test it when we're going to change it like six months later and then go, ah, oh, but like I read from like the console or I don't yeah, know, you did something yeah, yeah. weird like with state and now, I mean, hopefully you didn't do that writing an average function, but you can't be certain that you can test it. The only way you can be certain that you can test it is to actually test it. Yeah. Or you can sort of reason about it in your mind. And so like another thing... Yeah, that's true though. I mean, that's a really good point though, I think, is that you're saying, you know, if you're writing tests, it's going to affect the way you're writing your actual deliverable code or, or functional functionality code, right? What do you think about that? Because that was one of the things I was going to ask you in this discussion. Sometimes you're like, I'm I'm going to write this code like this. And then if you, eat, say, even 10 minutes later, you go and retrofit the test, you think, especially, it depends on the language. So if you write what I call pure functional code, which is where you have a function which takes some parameters and produces an output, mm-hmm. and 
the only thing that affects the output is the parameters. So if you change the parameters, the output yeah. might change, but they wouldn't change because like the time of day was different or they make a network request and that returns a different thing. Yeah. So they, they have no outside. It's just the stuff that's coming in is the only thing that influences the output, which is like, I think that's sort of roughly the definition of a pure function. Then you can pretty much always test those things. Yeah. It's easy. You put in different inputs, you verify the outputs. Yeah. But it's quite easy to write things where you can't, like that's not the case. And then it's very hard to test because now it's going across the network. And if the network goes down, they fail. It's also in certain languages to do with like, you know, keywords like private and public. If something's yep. private, you can't really test it. And it might be something which makes perfect sense to test, but it sort of should be private because nowhere needs to access it other than the test. And some languages like Java are not very good at bypassing those controls. It's quite hard. So then you're, you just end up with make it protected or make it private. Yeah, yeah. Just so that you can get hold of it. What do you, th so like, I'm sure we've all been there, but what do you think about reshaping your code? Yeah, I think I think if you decide, assuming that you're ha you're making a conscious decision when to write tests or not, and you know you then need to decide. You've decided that this function needs to be tested for whatever reason. Like I said before, it's quite hard, it's quite complicated, and you feel that it should. Mm. Um, so I think I think you should manipulate your code to be able to do that. I agree, though. Like with Java, there, there are those complexities there where you're like, well, this is a private field, and it should be private. Yeah. But I guess, I mean, for me, the, probably the way I get around that is just have a public getter or a protected getter. Sometimes it's like if you have a private function, yeah, you're like, it really can be private except for the test where it would be a lot more convenient if it's public. Yeah, I think... Um, so what the way I maybe get around that... So that generally what I do there actually in that case, because I'm thinking when I'm thinking of tests, is coverage of test code. Mm -hmm. So if there's a private function, there must be a non-private function somewhere that's using that private function. Yes. So I would probably just test the public function. Because assuming that you can test the flow of the private function based on what you've passed the public function, yeah, yeah. then you would probably be okay. So you definitely could do that. But then what if the public function has like some crazy state and calls a network? Then you're kind yeah, of like... Yeah, then stuck. it gets hard. Then it, and then we have to talk about um, mocking objects and stuff, right? Which yeah. then gets quite difficult. And then like... There are like whole patterns of writing code, especially in Java, uh, because because of the nature of it, where you're passing like you know like dependency injection stuff, and you're mm. passing all of these other bits of code in, so that sometimes when you call them, you can pass in a mock which behaves differently when you call it for just for the tests, and so yeah. you really end up like <clears throat> yeah, if you're thinking like if you're using Spring or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've used Spring Test as part of my JUnit and mock test where you can, you basically give it a configuration to be like, well, when it wants this bean, actually just give it this mocked version yeah, yeah. and things like that. And it does work quite well. It, the problem, the only issue there is it really bloats your test code. Yeah. So your test code can end up being, like for a relatively simple piece of functionality, you've got like 100 or 150 lines of code. You've got like 60 lines of, I need my spring to boot up to run this test. Then it runs, Little and, quite, and then you've got eight or nine tests, and then you're like, well, that's actually a hell of a lot more code than the actual underlying function. Yeah, than the actual implementation yeah. code, which is another thing. So I think, so going back to what um, the guy that used to work for me was saying, part of the reason that this is considered a thing that interviewing companies are looking for is because it's actually it's pretty, pretty hard. Mm. It's tough, and that makes the trade-off of like the return on investment of writing tests is difficult because the tests are so 
expensive to write and in some yes. cases they can actually be more they can take more time yes that's what i was going to say yeah so it's not like you're like oh let's say that like writing some implementation code is going to take an hour and adding the test is going to take five minutes that ratio it sometimes will be the case if you're writing a function like and if you're writing a function like an average it should be really quick but if you're if you're writing pure functional code depending on what it is mm. that ratio could be pretty good it could be like i spent one unit of time writing the code and like 0.2 so you spend a fifth as much time writing tests but very frequently it's like a ratio of one to one or worse like you spend the same amount of time writing the tests as the code yeah you spend an hour writing the code yeah and then an hour writing the test but sometimes like in that example that you just gave it's going to be like one to two it's like you can write the code in like five minutes yeah. and then you'll spend an hour being like how do i mock yeah like a whole really bunch hard. of springs thing and it, it gets really difficult and and the return on investment calculation becomes hard because the cost of writing tests is very material and the benefit it brings is is there but like it depends you have to you have to factor in that cost i think people that think about this wrong they don't think about the cost they kind of just magically assume that you you'll get you'll have some tests good good developers write tests so tests will just be there and you know tests will be built into all the estimates well the reality is that they no. they are there and there is a cost and if you were to pit that developer against me and we're racing and I'm not writing the test. I'm probably going to, I'm probably yeah, going to smoke gonna you. Win. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah. I should win. Yeah. You know, I don't know. It depends what kind of day I'm having, but <laughs> I should but, win. But it's, it, the thing about the, the testing there as well that I mentioned, because I know I was talking about the spring stuff and mocking it. it. It then becomes, as part of your value, deciding how much value is and return on investment there. I have done, and I think I have done in, in, in these open source ones, anything that's just a bit too complicated you just to do, test, I just haven't tested. V2. Because I'm yeah. just like, I'll just do the 50% of this code that is easy, yeah, relatively easy, and the ones that I like, this could take me an hour or two to write a test for, I'm just not going to. I just haven't yeah, done it. Yeah, just because, take the, the, the easy bits yeah, get, get them done. Because I, I still think having some tests is better than having no tests, even if you're missing the, the more difficult to test bits because it means at least there's something there that you've reasoned about and double reasoned about by having to write the tests. Yeah. So I think it's better than none, but I also appreciate not having any at all. And the, but the implications there are at some point it might come back to bite you. Yeah. And then you have to think about, well, what are the chances of this code actually being changed? So everything in with tests and a lot of software, actually, which we're probably going to end up speaking about more, is to do with future probabilities, which is what makes this so this mm. discipline of coding is hard. Because when you're thinking about whether you should write a test, you're like, what's the probability that we're going to change this in the future? The higher it is, the the more the pendulum swings towards maybe it's worth writing the test because we're actually, there's a lot of uncertainty here. I know my manager, Dave, might change his mind on this you know whereas some other thing you're like well they're never going to change that so it's like what's the probability of it changing what's the cost if it breaks so like like i wrote a function once which like nets amounts on trades and decides you know it'll take like five trades some of them with a positive amount some with a negative amount and says oh it was like plus five and minus three so we can just do two yeah you do not want that code to go wrong because someone is going to get very annoyed with yeah, you. Yeah, it's the you wrong know, way around. It's like, oh, I actually traded 100. Or yeah, <laughs> like, we, we bought the wrong number of shares or whatever. It's like you then, that's something I would test because you think, you know, how mad would someone be or what are the business implications or how much money would we lose? Yeah. And what are the probabilities of that? Because like, it may be that like, there's a very low probability of losing a lot of money or it may be that there's a, 
average probability of losing a bit of money and you're kind of like it's kind of like insurance or something you're you're like thinking like is it worth writing these yeah i I think that's always a problem with with tests and it's it's very easy to just not write any because at the point where the program works you're done right you could you can it's very uh, because a lot of business people or the person you're living to doesn't really think about tests yeah they might be like, you're doing testing, right? And you're like, well, yeah, I, I, when I've written this function, I check that it compiles and runs and it gives <laughs> yeah, me the answer. It, it works, doesn't it? But then you see, then you're like, well, that, you know, it's fine. It's done. I can, I'm, my job here is done. You've got to explicitly be like, well, no, actually, you know, I said it'd be done by, you know, three o'clock, but give me another couple of hours just to make sure it's, yeah, let me it test it some more. Yeah. Um, but when you get into complex applications, even just testing the application, i.e. by running it and watching its behavior, becomes quite time-consuming. Yes. That's another reason to write tests, is that manual testing, especially if something's repetitive, can, like, we wrote an app recently for a startup, had no tests, and every time we released it, we had a big checklist, which is quite a common thing. Yeah. In, like, It'd be know, like a QA. Yeah, QA job, kind right? of yeah. like, you know, you know, open up the app, log in, you know, book, whatever, and, and then you're like, oh, you know, and then it, it gets to the point, my first job, we used to develop for a month and we used to spend, the whole team used to down tools for one week to to just test the changes we'd built in the other three weeks. Yeah. So for every four weeks of development, one week just went by the by, where, which I think when you're getting to those kind of ratios, you think, how long would it take to write, you know, to automate all of this stuff? And maybe it's not unit testing, maybe it's integration, integration testing, or... testing, which I like those things. I like them more as I've got further into this game actually uh unit testing's cool but actually i i do really like just being able to like have like a more of a splatter like i did loads of things that are actually an end user's doing and it all seemed to work gives yeah. me quite a lot more confidence in a way than like you know your mean function definitely works you're like well what does that tell me like tells me yeah exactly me. yeah so you know if it's a web api right you probably have a, a cheat sheet of urls that you're going to hit yeah, and you can see whether you're expecting a result back. Or yeah, back, you, kind of thing. And right? you can kind of like eighty twenty it, and yeah. and you you're like, well, what's the you know? And you can if you when you get more experienced, you can think, what code did we change? What's the probability that the, these things are going to be broken? And you can mix a bit of automation with a bit of manual testing. And so, so that's an interesting point, right? Is that if if you're writing an application like me right now at, at my work. I own the code and I'm the only person that develops it. Yeah. And I've written it all. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, I'm right. The only reason I'm writing tests then is for my, would be to, for myself. Yes. So the value for that, I think, is reduced. Whereas if you're in a team of, say, three or four or even two, yeah, yeah. then you're writing a piece of code. Adding the tests there makes more sense because it's, I don't know. I think maybe I'm thinking of tests. I think of tests more as for other people rather than for myself. Can't, some people say, "Oh, I, I I learn how the code works by looking at the tests," and I think those people are mental. Yeah, I I don't. That does not. Occasionally, it will help me. Maybe in like really pure functional cases, but like normally, if I want to see how something works, I'm going to look at how it works. I'm not going to look at yeah. something that like. Causes I don't think it. I've ever looked at any other codes tests no. before looking at the code. No, you always look at the code. You're not. I don't derive much meaning from like this thing, which is like executing it and verifying things. But, but like, you know, you, you download things off the, the web, right? And they're like, you know, um, particularly on the Linux side where they're like, oh, you can make it. You build it 
and then you can run the tests before you install it. You do like make, build, make, test, make, install. Mm-hmm. I was just like, well, I'll just save time and not run make, test because I'm assuming that it will all work. these tests work because yeah, yeah. I'm not the person that should be responsible no, no, for checking not, that all those tests work. Not my problem. Yeah. I suppose, that, I suppose there are other benefits when you're, when you're working in a bigger team, like yeah. you say. Stuff like having tests and then someone checks in and then continuous integration, like they push some code and then continuous integration runs and says, hang on a minute, it looks like maybe you've broken something. That could potentially save you a lot of time rather than that thing just silently being broken. Until you're doing your integration manual tests and you go, oh, well, that's weird. That's weird. Why and is then that you're, you've completely lost context of what Yeah, yeah. Changing. So it keeps the feedback loop between like, I changed a thing and I broke a thing much shorter, which yes. is a good thing. And yeah. like, it's going to make people more productive. However, there is the other case where someone makes a completely legit change to something, which has not changed any functionality in the real world. And it fails like three tests. Yeah. And then it becomes a burden. So but it, then, then I would argue that's a bad test. Yes. So we had some like that. So we use SBE, which is a messaging format, mm-hmm. like um, Google Protobuf. Yeah. And someone had written a test that validates the output, the binary output of this SBE, because it's a binary encoding. So you give it a structure. Yeah. And then it, then it builds literally one bi- Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So somebody has validated that, but one of the fields that it's automatically given is a version. Yeah. So, the, so the, the, version. Schema, the version was changing. <laughs> and so then and, the but they, different ones and zeros because the version's And different. they'd hard-coded looking for 36, and someone had upgraded the version to 37. Right. And then you're like, that's a bad so all test. these tests have failed. Yeah, you're yeah. like, why are we checking the version? Yeah, that's bad. That's a bad test. It's, um, it's But right, to be fair to that, you know, like anybody that's ever written a bad test, they're, they're hard to write. Oh, but, yeah, no, no. I, I, no I'm, not, I'm not saying I, I write perfect tests, but it's clear at that point the test that the issue there has become with the test yes. and not with the underlying But that, that is quite a common case in practice. Like yeah. in an ideal world, you're like, oh, you know, everything should be fine. But the, quite often when a test fails, sometimes it's because you, I would say actually in my experience, the percentage of the time the test fails because the underlying, the implementation code is, there's a bug with it compared to there being some sort of problem with something to do with the testing. That ratio is like... Yeah is probably somewhere close to 50-50. Like, I would say a lot of the time it's like, oh, we changed this other thing and the test has failed because like the kind of infrastructure and the way that the tests are done, whether it's like mocking or something else is broken. But mm. the actual thing, like you said before, you've got 60 lines of code, like setting it up to like get in there to write your eight small eight tests. Yeah. The small eight tests would still be fine. But something to do with the, the setups. Something to do with the setups changed. Mm. I think a lot of that is to do with languages. Like I, I think part of the reason that I like functional programming, even though I don't really write many tests, is that I wouldn't say I don't write any tests. I do write some, but I I really pick and choose my battles. And yeah, it, yeah, we can talk more about that in a minute. But part part of the thing I I think if you write pure functional code, so like stuff comes in and stuff comes out, then testing is in general. It's the easiest type of test you could ever hope to write. Yeah. You can you can say, I put this in and that in, and I expect to get this out, and it's not going to go wrong, realistically. Whereas when you get to more state things, yeah. like kind of, oh, we're accessing a database, it gets really hard. Then you'd argue that, you know, those simple functional tests, you know, like you were saying before, you're writing your average function, it's pretty easy to reason as to whether the average function is working or not. So should you even bother writing tests for that? <laughs> And actually focus your effort just writing tests on the more difficult pieces. So an- another thing which I think in the reta- in the the way I think about it is like the cost of writing tests, like you already basically said it, that some things are easier to test and some things like you were saying, this is going to take me like a couple of hours. So the first thing is the variable of how much does it cost to write the test? 
And then the other side of the equation is what's the benefit? And we co- we said probability that the code's going to get changed. Yeah. Guess how big a team you're in because basically developer productivity, being able to check some code in and having CI fail is like a good thing. Yeah. Um, if the code goes wrong, what are the consequences and what's the probability the code's going to go wrong? Losing money or someone dying? I don't know in which order. No, yeah. probably someone <laughs> dying and then losing money. I, I, I said that that way around. It's just the way it came out. But <laughs> yeah, someone dying. Yeah, or losing money, more importantly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then, you're, then you probably should write some tests. Uh, whereas if it's just like, like you said, you work in a code base, you've got some little function you're using. If you screw it up, you're going to get an error. You're just going to look at it and go, oh, I messed that up. Mm-hmm. You're just going to change it. There's not really any... Re- it's also, will that error be at dev time or prod time? It's yes. something I think about. Like, if it's going to be at dev time, like, if, you're, if, it, if it's going to break and it's going to send everything to a screeching halt, but realistically, it will only ever happen in dev, like, when you're working on it. Yeah. Like, who cares? Like, for example, you pass in, like, the wrong type. Like, is there a point in writing a test because someone passed in, like, null? If that it depends on the function and the context which you're calling it. But if you're only ever calling it with other code that you write with your own hands, when you write that code, you're gonna call that function and it's gonna just break and you're gonna go, oh yeah, that was stupid. Whereas if maybe the input's coming from an unpredictable source, maybe it could be null. Yeah. And yeah. then maybe you're like, oh maybe I should test that because it will wake me up at 3 a.m. Whereas yeah. the other one, you're just gonna go, oh, I've messed that up, you know. So I I guess the interesting thing with Java is another another potential um, way around it is that you could just say I'm not going to handle any error cases from my from my side, and I'm just going to throw those back up to the caller. Yeah, and make the caller deal with it, right? Mm-hmm. So there's obviously if if you, that's one and the same person, you you know you're not saving yourself any effort, but you could make a you know the prop a, a lot of issues in Java come from unchecked. Um, what do they call runtime exceptions, right? So they just get thrown. You don't have to explicitly catch those. Whereas if you go, you know what? Um, something weird might happen in here. I'm going to write a custom uh, normal exception that you're going to have to deal with if this doesn't work. Yeah. There's there's definitely a, there's definitely a, a reason for that. And then you're saying, look, I'm, I'm just going to... All I'm going to do is test that in the case you pass something stupid, I throw your stupid exception. I, I tend to go that way. Yeah. Because I there's like a saying like, crap in crap out yeah well that's maybe not the same but it's a, it's similar to that and they're with different words yeah but but i am very much of with a lot of things i'm of that mantra especially if you own like you say you own the code and you own the code that calls the code and you're the only person because i think that really like you were saying where you test your libraries i think that's that's another thing that i consider how many other developers are going to use this code like am i building a library that's going on github that like a thousand or ten thousand people like Lodash in JavaScript is like the sort of standard general purpose library we discussed like a couple of episodes ago. Yeah, they should write some tests for that because like probably te- you know ten million programs are running using that stuff, and if there's some dodgy edge case, someone's gonna bump into it. Yeah. Whereas like if you're writing a function and using it in one context, is covering all the edge cases that important? Probably not. Like, and if, and I think as well like. As I've got older, or not older, but as I've got more experienced and I'm fortunately older, yeah. I think I've come to realise if you have a problem with your code and you can fix it quickly, in a lot of contexts, that's okay. Like, that's all right. Like, you're like, oh, that thing broke, but now it's not broken anymore because I just changed some code and deployed mm-hmm. it. When I was early on in my career, I was like, that's cowboy. I've got to try and 
cater for all the cases as they happen. But I think it depends on who you're working for. Depends on the kind of application as well. A lot, I guess, anything other than small projects aren't going to have that ability, right? Yeah, it depends how quickly you can deploy things. Yeah. So like smaller companies and smaller projects, you can just go blip deploy. But I guess I guess actually, to be fair, that comes down to a lot of how good the a bit of a buzzword, but how good the DevOps yeah. side of stuff is, right? If you've got a great um, build pipeline where you can commit, merge, test, CI and get it out within, say, 30 minutes, yeah. and that's a legitimately approved process that works every time, i.e. there's no exception, it's not a particularly, it's not like an exception route, it's just that's how normally you deploy stuff, Yeah. then that's, you know, there's definitely something to be said for that, right? Because yeah. you can say, well, look, we've got the ability to, you know, our API, we can roll that out within 30 minutes. Yeah. You can, as long as there's somebody senior enough approves a code review and says that's okay, then, you know, you've got that in your back pocket, right? Yeah. And it means that you can be a little bit more cavalier, perhaps, than somewhere where it takes, like, a day's worth of testing. Although that said, almost every organization has a backdoor for when everything breaks. Because if you didn't, you'd just have so much downtime. That, you know, it's yeah. like, oh, that's broken. Oh, emergency patch release where someone SSHs yeah, onto a machine and stuff. release it before parts. you get approval and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I guess the, the, the you want to make that... The problem is if that became the norm, that would be a bad, very bad sign of yeah. how a team's working, right? So then yeah. you'd hopefully as a manager be like, look, we're obviously trying to deliver too much in too short a time and not doing enough testing. And then that's a that's a that's a procedural thing, right? You need to change the way the team works. Yeah. At that point, you've got to do less work or to have long, you know, in, increase your estimates by. You know, it's interesting you were saying before uh, of the four week cycle, you're spending one week uh, uh, testing, right? So that's twenty five percent of your effort is going to testing, right? And that sounds like a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, it was enough to make me consider jumping off the roof of the building that we worked in. So, yeah. yeah. It's not. It's it's it was too and, and much. And during that week. Was that a week to write tests or was that a week to no. do like manual in- there was integration an, There testing? were a dozen Excel sheets for different parts of the app and you had to run through. Maybe we had in total about 300 manual line items that someone had to do. And between you all in that week, you had to achieve Yeah, to get the 300 done. And we had people, uh, like offshore people who took the brunt of it and put a brave face on it but when i had to do it i was like i'm out <laughs> this is I, awful i think i got to a point so in the end what i did was i not lost my temper but i basically automated as many of these the difficult ones especially at a system level so it's like it would open the app and physically click things yeah. so it was basically whatever we were doing in that spreadsheet we could just run a thing and it was still kind of manual and like someone actually had to run it on a physical box but we could nominate a person and be like jack is just going to run that script and babysit it and yeah okay jack's doing it but the rest of us can do whatever the hell we want and like yeah. we did tell our management we didn't we weren't like <laughs> we weren't going behind their back they're, they're like it's another week of testing yeah we're just, we're just at the bar sipping martinis and then what happened if like day four of that testing you found like a critical bug then we would write some code to fix it but we had like a but, lockdown or maybe on a branch it was actually pre-git days but, we, but then you wouldn't have time to do all the tests again then no yeah and so some releases so obviously when you've got like i don't know how many man hours that is but it's a lot of man hours like a whole team it was a team of like seven or eight maybe ten so, so it's a lot of people 400 yeah like it's hours. a lot of hours yeah i mean maybe it wasn't a full week maybe it was like three days but it was a it was a lot a long time yeah. but we would get what they would do the more senior guys on the team would say well 
we've changed this bit and not that bit and no one's touched this whole thing so we're not really we'll just we'll just like say like the th- i can't remember what the system even did but like say we're going to book a trade in that part of the system yeah. we'll just we'll just book a trade Trade goes in. We're not yeah. going to test all the bells and whistles. Like, does it still sort of seem to work? Yeah, fine. And then other bits that you changed, it would be like, and of course you've got to update the document because you've changed stuff. Yeah. So now the document's wrong, and it was just. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's that. There's something interesting there, right? Is that you're saying it's having that intelligence to be like, well, I'm one or two or four people understand the system enough to know when you change bits in certain bits of the repository yeah. that impacts certain things, right? But that's never written down, and that's the bit that I think, if you could somehow, yeah, dis- put that into some sort of document, or even if you could automate that in some way, so then you know, it the some tool could go right since the last release, these things have changed, which impacts these things. That means this subset of tests should be run. That'd be amazing. I guess it comes down. I guess as part of that's like architecture and de- the way you deploy. Because yeah. if you keep things really separate, like you have separate APIs and a separate UI, you can be like, "Well, we haven't actually committed any code to this thing." But then, yeah, you know, I was thinking like even a like a very fine grained, more fine grained. Yeah. yeah, I guess microservices would help with that because then God. you could say, "Well, yeah, we haven't. There's no commits in microservice yeah. A, so we're just not. It, it must work." It's still yeah. It's still the problem is the because we have a lot of individual processes. I wouldn't say they're microservices by any sense, but we have a lot of moving pieces the problem is that you've got a flow of data right yeah through one to the other so then if you break the top one yeah yeah (laughs) or the top one's changed something then yeah yeah you know you've that everything flow you know the whole system doesn't work and i guess automated integration testing is something i've never really seen or done no i've not Um, other than that which was sort of semi-automated i've not really i've i've read about it mm. I'd imagine if you're someone like Netflix, something like that would be amazing. But they must we, have something like that. Yeah. Because I guess the, the thing is for someone like Netflix or Google, the, again, it comes down to what is the cost if the code breaks. And if they have an outage, like Google never seems to have an outage. Mm. If they have an outage, it's bad news. Yeah. So having a thing which physically, like investing the time, like getting one or two developers and being like, you've got a year to like test the crap out of this. That's totally worth it for them because yeah. it's so little money compared to the bottom line. But now they can be more confident that things aren't breaking. But when it gets difficult, it's like someone has a budget, you know, and they're, they've hired two developers and, you know, they've got they've not got a ton of money. You can't and, say to one of them, you just do testing. Yeah, the yeah. Gonna deliver. You can't. Yeah. Or if you had two guys doing testing. Yeah. That's all the guys. So yeah. No one's all, all girls and no one's writing anything. So I think... Um, I guess there's now we've got things like Docker and um, cloud services, which actually make building um, a set of ser- a set of a set of uh, servers or whatever together to be able to replicate your application a lot yeah. easier. Say you've got ten processes, you were like, right, we now have this. We don't necessarily use Docker in production, right? You know, for whatever reason, but you could easily replicate that into a testing environment where yeah. you go. Literally, what we do is we press play. It builds everything up. Everything starts up. And then you just need some sort of special testing process, which can somehow trigger events inside your application. And if you could do that, and then literally every time you do a commit or every night or something, it goes, right, we span this up. We push through, say, a a new market data quote. Yeah. What did our system do? Did we generate a new quote out the other end? No, it blew up. Something broke. Yes, it did. And... Then it looked, you know, it was in within 
some value of the original quote that came in, you could say, look, we can validate that. I, I, but I don't think I've never worked anywhere where somebody is assigned to coming up with like a testing infrastructure. I suppose you could call it testing infrastructure, right? Yeah. I've never seen anybody that I've never seen any company that I've worked in that's gone. We have these people whose job it is to make is to make your app application easily testable. I've, I'm a big believer with a lot of things in software that the same people that write the code should do all the other things to do with the code, including testing. And releasing. And releasing, yeah. which is kind of what this whole DevOps buzzword was about. It's like, well, kind kind of or not. It's like rather than having a separate operations team that deploys things, it, it's got easier, like you just mentioned. So now we're just going to put it back in the hand of developers. And I do think the same people should do all the things because otherwise you end up with this weird... You know, I've had jobs even quite recently where there's a testing team and I find myself being like, well, they'll just, you know, I'll just do something and they'll they'll find the problems with it and yeah. then uh, it will get sent back to me if it's not good enough. And it, it makes you more sloppy and you're not, even if you're not writing tests, you're you're kind of just, when you're, when you're checking your own work, like by physically clicking through the UI you've made or something, yeah. you're just like, well, it'll be fine. I think an interesting thing that is, is around releases as well. I know that's not really the topic of discussion here, but it's really interesting at the old place, the first place I worked where we didn't do, we, there was a period where we were doing releases and then it got taken over Another and time. then we took it back because it kept failing. Yeah. They kept having problems. But the reason they were having problems is because our release system was awful. Yeah. Like we had, we were like, this is how you release something. And reliably the offshore team would get it wrong. Yeah. And they were like, oh, you know, damn offshore team came back to us. And then we were like, well, this doesn't work. Yeah. Well, it was like, well, yeah, and they, and that's what they, the feedback was always that it doesn't work. But because it was an offshore <laughs> team, our team were like, oh, it does. You guys aren't doing it right. You know, yeah, it's that thing. It's, it doesn't. You don't take the responsibility necessarily because it's somebody else doing it's a, it. Yeah, it's and in, bringing it all into the same team. You're then very motivated to make your release process better, your testing yeah, process yeah. better, because it's you guys that are affected. By yeah, all. it's like it's like when my first team when they made us test the application, I lost my mind so much that I yeah. spent weekends and evenings to automate it because I was like I physically do not want to do this anymore because I'm spending like a like maybe a fifth or a sixth of my work in life doing this reading off of a spreadsheet like a you know yeah. this really boring task. So I think and that's and that's where you know things should be automated, right? It's, but the interesting there is they didn't from day one go right, how the hell are we going to automate doing all this stuff? It grew organically yeah. to a critical point. And then somebody was like, I mean, it should have probably been the other way around where they went, let's put some time and effort into automating it. But in your case, obviously, it was you just getting frustrated with the process. But again, it, it's a pragmatic approach to doing this kind of stuff, right? You're not on day one going to go, right, let's have this this automated yeah. click-through of a system. Yeah. Because right now we only have one test, which is can you log in? Yeah, it's when you've got three hundred of them, and then you go, well, maybe we should spend the effort. I know, and then some people would argue, well, you should do little bits at a time, and then you have it it's... at the time you've grown. But again, it's back to your risk and risk assessment of the problems and your return on investment. It's very hard because the costs can be quite significant, and the benefits are. It's not like there's just one benefit. Like we've just discussed maybe three or four different benefits, yeah. like developer productivity, the risk of like something going wrong and you losing loads of money or someone dying or something really bad or having an outage if you're Netflix and losing cost, like market share. Yeah. Like that's, that's bad news for them. There's like all these different risks and it's kind of like how big are those risks? How much money or time or will they cost or how will they affect morale? I mean, morale is probably a legit thing in this as well. Like yeah. having everything automated is better for developer morale. If you want to retain staff, then as long as you can trust it, 
Yeah, as long as you can... Yeah. But, I mean, in general, computers are probably, in some ways, better. If you're going to run... You know, if you're going to release every three days or something, you'd probably want a computer doing it because a human's going to get sloppy. But... So, an interesting side point, actually, which, as you mentioned, Netflix, again, made me think about it. I'm I'm sure I have read this before, but I'm going to be hazy on the details. If you're thinking about... um, your impact to your customer if you're if you have a critical issue yeah um another way that you can go around doing it is to say well actually how do we build our production system just to be more resilient to these sorts of issues yeah unknown problems with the code yes that we can't foresee yeah which i think is how netflix they have a thing called chaos monkey i think it's called yeah um so they I, I, i think from my understanding of it is that they have a they obviously highly distributed or across they do use AWS, I think, and they have, you know, however many servers, and they have this process which goes around actively just killing things off and breaking things. Just just, just messing stuff just up. Just to see. But this is in production. Yeah, they're, all the time. They're breaking stuff all the time to make sure that everything stays online. And yeah. I assume they're running that in test as well. But it's an, it's an interesting side point. If you go, well, actually, tests are quite hard to do. And okay, that part of that is verification, but also to make sure that when it's released, it works, mm. and to make sure it works correctly. Um, maybe you think more about well, if we just make the application resilient to these sort of errors, i.e., rolling releases or um, some sort of better recovery mechanism. Yeah, I mean the way Netflix do it, I think, is they just they they stage the release right, so they'll be like, you run it for with ten percent of users this new feature. Yeah, for a week, yeah. and you go. Does it work? Yeah, yeah. There, you're right. Twenty, are, thirty, for fifty, a hundred. Yeah, you're right. There are. Yeah, there are other things you can do. Being able to roll back is pretty neat yeah. as well. Easily, I mean, everyone can roll back, but you don't want to be sat there going, "How do I roll back?" Yeah, you just want to run a command and like be click like, a oh. button or something. Yeah, but I guess in those situations where you need, because the reason that I think for me anyway, a lot of the reasons why I don't write tests when I'm writing applications is because the easiest what. The, not necessarily the easiest, but the most complete way to test is to literally just run the end product yeah. and see things happening in the end product, right? Well, you know it works, yeah. Yeah, so from that point of view, you know, thinking about Netflix, they can go, well, you know, are people getting this data? The easiest way to validate that your flow is working, like you're getting loading the data, you know, loading the video off disk, streaming it, is to just to release it to a small set of people. And see if they complain. And see if they complain. Or, you know, I guess another part of that resiliency is then making sure you have a very solid error reporting mechanism back from your clients, right? So, you know, if you've got a web API, you need to be making sure if there's a 503 or something there that you're immediately alerted to it or alerted to it, I I guess, immediately in that situation, right? Yeah, I guess there are other things that they've moved to, like, another level of mitigating some of these risks through, like, deployment and infrastructure and, yeah, checking analytics to see, hang on a minute, in in Brazil, no one's watching any videos anymore. Maybe there's a problem. Yeah, yeah, those sort of things. Those kind of things. But I wonder... Assuming that developers don't like writing tests, which I think is part of the problem, I feel like for me anyway, I don't particularly enjoy it. Yeah, I think it can be quite unrewarding because you're the re- different people are different. The reason that I think both of us got into this game before we even learned to code, and we were just presumably a couple of nerds, although I basically learned to code when we met <laughs> met each other, is that you like making stuff happen and the computer do things for you mm-hmm. that's a big part of it and yes. writing tests is not that it, it by definition you'll do the bit that's interesting that someone cares about and like you know a lot of the reason that i like working on pro- products and projects and coding is that i'm doing a thing that someone in the real world really cares about and i'm like 
you know, hey, Marjorie. I don't know why I put the name Marjorie. Hey, Marjorie. <laughs> hey, Marjorie, here's this, this website that you wanted. You know, she and, you know, Marjorie... You have run with that name now. You, I've, you know, Marjorie. I thought you were going to say Marjorie. Marjorie, as it happens, <laughs> Marjorie. Marjorie doesn't care if I wrote tests. She just no. cares that it works. And most like, and at the end of the day, like most business people, or even if you're like an entrepreneur and you're writing your own code, you're probably not going to write tests there because you you get down to brass tacks and you're like, is this worth it? And this brings me to I think a lot of the the calculation for writing tests when you're thinking about. If you're working for a company, so say you're like permanently employed or you're a freelancer, it kind of depends on the life, the stage of that company, how many customers they already have and how much money is flowing through that system. And also how much those those things, but in the future. So if you're building a new system for like a big bank and they're like, oh, you're building our online banking system and it's for like, I don't know, like Barclay card. You can assume that some people are going to use that. Like they're not using it yet, but there's some people going to be using it. So when you're building it, you think, well, hang on, when this goes live, what's the risk of like if this all goes wrong? And you're like, oh, pretty high. If you're work, so because they kind of have a thing which they know that people are going to use. And it may be that you're building an internal system for an internal customer and they're like, oh, you know, the guys in accounting are going to use this. You know it's going to get used. And you know that if it breaks, you kind of can figure out the real world consequences of that. But where it's different is with startups and smaller companies who are building a product and they don't really know that anyone's necessary. They don't know that they're going to get product market fit and that people are going to start using it. It may take off like a rocket ship or they may get like 100 users. And so in that scenario, in my opinion, in 95, maybe more percent of cases, the right thing to do is to not write tests because you're going to write some code and then go actually the thing we had in mind to build in the first place like the product is not right and we need to bin that bit and change this bit and if you'd have written tests it would have taken you say 1.5 two times as long and now you're throwing half of it away yeah so like the it's kind of like the probability the longevity of the code that you're testing is probably another important thing to consider like if that code is going to run for 10 years and be really important compared to if you're going to run it once yeah for a migration are you going to test your migration code or are you just going to run it verify it works by eye and then run it in production and then forget about it so it's yeah. kind of the lifetime's important and with startups the lifetime and the risk you don't know if they're going to survive to get funding in another year you're going to they're going to go down with a crap load of tests yeah yeah <laughs> thanks rich for writing all those tests for us that was really we we it all worked and nothing broke but you it know we didn't build enough took features. twice as long yeah it took twice as long we could have maybe built more features and maybe one of those features or pivots or whatever would have saved the company saved the company yeah and so that's i think for me because i've been working in startup land that is the like their their trade-offs they'll also accept that things might break yeah like you know i've we released an app for a customer of mine and you know he he's running a business where people are paying through the app and people are using it and you know we've had thousands of bookings come through it but his tolerance for it breaking is I would, in my opinion, is quite high. Mm. Like it hasn't broken much, but if it breaks for like a few hours or a day, he accepts that risk because he knows that we're like pushing on how much stuff we can build for him. Yeah. And I think that's kind of, that's probably the right call. Yeah. So I was thinking there actually, as you were saying that, which is more valuable to us, getting new customers with new features or maintaining existing customers with existing features. Yeah. Right. So if, if you're just in startup mode, you just care about getting features out the door. You need to be focusing on writing the features. If you annoy somebody from the earlier 
you know, one of the earlier users, then maybe that's worth it to keep that growth. Yes. But at some point, that it, that curve that curve changes. flattens out, and then you go, you know what? Now we need to focus on just making sure that all our existing users are happy and nothing breaks for them. And then then that's where maybe it changes, right? That you go, well, we now need to focus on code stability more than anything else, yeah. more than new features, at which point you start putting more resource towards yeah. testing. Do you know what's hilarious about that is that it directly contradicts the... Not contradicts. I think you're exactly right, but it, the point we made earlier on of it's a good idea to write the tests close to writing the implementation yeah. code, yeah. what you've just described, which is exactly right, and what I think happens in like probably 95% of cases plus is the exact opposite of that because you're going to have pushed out all this information <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. with no test and then go, <laughs> what we really need now is to make sure this all works. And so now you need to test a thing which you definitely haven't tested. Yeah. And if you haven't tested something, you can be damn sure that it's going to be difficult to test. <laughs> yeah. Sod's law. So. Yeah, it's the, it's, I think it's ironic there, right? And it, I think you, you were saying, and it's right, it's it's really down to the it's really down to where the that company that you're working for is at, right? Yeah. And, and I guess... A, Another word you might want to say is the culture of the team, right? The culture's massive. Like, if I go and work somewhere as a freelancer, I want to know if they want to write tests. If you ask them, they'll always say yes. But are they actually writing but tests? But they actually, do people write tests? And when the chips are down and you use, I'm writing the tests as a, not an excuse, but like as a reason that it's something's taking longer. Yeah. Will they tolerate that? And the answer for most of the clients I work for is no. So then again, that's another reason I don't write yeah. tests is that I think if you work for a really good company, who has the requirements where it probably does make sense for them to write tests most of the time and then does also follow through and write tests. Yeah. Then, and there definitely can be big, I mean, I think we're being a bit like putting a bit of a downer on testing, but I think, you know, if you're like Netflix or Google or a bank, you should definitely, and then, you know, like we've worked in various investment banks and banks. They are a place where I would say in general, it definitely, definitely makes sense. They waste a lot of developer time, which basically for them is money, a lot of money because yeah. developers are expensive on having, you know, an entire team down tools for a week when they could actually, it's kind of like a debt. I mean, people call say technical debt, but yeah. it's like a debt, isn't it? It's like if they, if they spent two months and said, right, we're going to just make it so we can test everything automatically. And it's going to take one person one day to do it. It's currently taking 10 people, five days to do it. So it's taking 50 days yeah. and we're going to get it down to one and it's going to take two months to do that's going to repay for itself really quickly. Yeah. But so it's kind of like thinking, but then the question is whether there's like the political will in the company to actually put that cash down yeah. there and then. and or Because if, the business might will always be like, oh, well, yeah, we, we should do that, but but we've really got this other really important thing to yeah. do first. And the prioritization there is tough. I guess that's the problem is that to steady the ship like that, you either need to bring more developers in and we all know that more developers does not, it's not, yeah, proportional to the amount of work you get done you can hire more developers it goes it doesn't go as quick but so they can either hire more people in or they can build less features whilst you're doing the test so it's either going to cost them money or features yeah neither of which they'll particularly want to give yeah. up and it's it's but the, but this is why i mean i think companies asking about i mean i think all developers should know how to do it because yes. there's a time and a place for doing it yes and when that comes i i, I say a lot with the people i've talked to code I am okay with doing things not like the stamped best practice way as long as I know how I could do it the best way and I choose not to. I think there's a difference yeah, between that and I, ignorance. Because I was going to say, like, if you're using JUnit and... So I generally use JUnit and 
Hamcrest together. Mm. God, I haven't heard that word in a long time. Yep. Yeah, yeah it's re- I actually really like it. It makes writing tests, yeah, it's good. describing tests easier. But yes. but I every time I do it, because I don't do it that often, there's always that initial learning curve. Oh, uh, yeah. And I think for somebody doing, like being like, you know, I yeah, I write tests, but I haven't done it for two years. Yeah. And then to go into somewhere where they're going to be writing a lot of tests, you're going to feel behind and you're going to... And I feel like... It, <clears throat> It requires more. You need to learn more to write your tests than you do to write the actual code. You've got oh, to be like, it's, it's you've got like, so I can, I can, I, you know, guys, you're teaching, right? I can program now. That's great. And then you're like, okay, chapter seven is how to write tests. Yeah, and, and they're like, oh my hard. god, this is a whole new thing. Yeah, it is. It is. You're right. It's definitely like a whole new thing, and you really need to understand how to code properly before you can then even learn to test. Yeah. But I think the thing that people get wrong is, I think anybody that has a stance of you should, and th- and I think there are these people out there, which is basically one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this today. There are developers in the in the world, and not just one or two, quite a few of them that say, if you don't write tests, then you're not doing it properly. And I think that that is yeah. very wrong for all the reasons we just discussed. I think if you're in a certain scenario in a certain company with a certain set of economic factors affecting them then that may be that within that organization, everybody should be writing tests on almost all the code they write because if it breaks, it's the end of the world or they lose millions of dollars or people die because they work for a plane company or whatever. And then, yes, you would be a very bad developer if you went to a company like that and you didn't write tests. But then there's like you're working for a startup and all you're doing is using up their runway and burning through the cash they have left by writing a load of tests, which are going to basically have zero benefit because... You might have annoyed the two customers they have because the system didn't quite work. Yeah. But that's completely fine because, you know, someone can call them up on the phone and say, Dave, I'm really sorry they're broke, but don't worry about it. You know, we'll fix it for you. We'll give you a discount. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So I think... I guess the the problem, the only problem there, I guess, is where that startup ends up doing very well very quickly. It's then switching back to being like, crap, now we need to write loads of tests. The the right way, I mean, I've not been on a rocket ship journey with a startup, but it seems from the outside like the right way is to not write the tests and then once you get that product market fit and the rocket ship starts taking off yeah. you almost need to pretty much rewrite everything or try and retrofit tests which i think we all know in practice it's probably not going to go so well so probably start rewriting bits and testing it and the growing pains you're going to have during that period are going to be horrendous because you're going to presumably need to build new features and either retrofit or start rewriting bits of your yeah. system to make sure it's actually properly robust. I think, robust. Did, did I read that? I think Uber basically rewrote, didn't they? Yeah, I think they did. Um, I heard that they had two factions, one Python and one JavaScript, or maybe it was Python and something. Right. And like they were like, certain bits were written in Python and certain bits were written in JavaScript, and they were... Fighting. They were sort of annoyed with one another. Another thing as well, a company thinking about the start, the quick acceleration then and not being reflected in necessarily the quality of the code is um tesla i think maybe two or three months ago a somebody that used to work at tesla sort of went through and discussed all of the yeah i think i saw that yeah the what they'd seen whilst they were there because he'd worked on the software update system or something and he was basically saying it was stuck together with sticky tape and stuff and and people were very disparaging about it being like oh well you know this is terrible and it's like well yeah it's easy now to say it's terrible, but when whoever wrote that, because that was one of their core first features, I think, when the Model S came out. Yeah, yeah. So they were like, well, this needs to be a day one delivery, right? It needs to be, we need to be able to dynamically update all yeah. these car software. So 
clearly that was a let's just get something working and we'll deal with it later. Now, they haven't necessarily dealt with it later. Yeah. But they'll become that point, like you're saying, where they go, right, now we need to rewrite our software and update node system. Yeah, it's t- it's it's a difficult, it is a very difficult problem. And I think it's just the main thing for me is just I've as I've got more into it, I've realized there's a lot more nuance. And yeah. It's about, I think the more you can think like a quote, business person that's better like if you think maybe not a business person but if you think like the person that's paying you to do it if someone's paying you or if you're doing it for yourself then it's easy but if someone's paying you you think how would they want me to act what's in their best interest and sometimes the answer is not to write tests in Mm. fact actually in quite a lot or you can apply it even by um function by function or bit of code by bit of code where you say this yeah okay will take me 10 minutes this one's going to take me four hours. Yeah. Probably not worth it. Like they're probably, that's not in their best interest because what they, they would rather have the additional output of features and they're, they would probably accept the risk of that bit of code staying untested and they would probably be all right with that. And, you know, we've got a 20 minute deploy time and everything's automated. So it wouldn't be the end of the world. And it's just like factoring everything in. Yeah. So, so um, that's what I was going to chip in with there. So factoring in everything that, We've said, or you've said, uh, along with with some of the things I've said, I guess. Um, if you were going into a new company, then wh- when would you be when would you be shocked about the testing situation, and when would you be impressed by the testing situation across not just like the mm. code tests, but like their infrastructure around testing? I haven't seen anything either way. I've never been anywhere where I've been like, this is appalling. And I've never been anywhere where this is amazing. I've just been like, sort of standard fare, a few tests, pretty un- pretty undefined, shabby testing you know, mechanism. It's uh, normally quite bad. But but <laughs> let's just say theoretically both ways. Yeah. So th- theoretically, you go into company X and you're like, and you're like, yeah, yeah, we do tests. And then you turn up and you go, wow, this is, this is, this is as good as it could be. Full suite. All three, le- like system level, integration level, like, you know, stuff's clicking things and, and then they've also tested all their like functions. And and you've got the integration sort of suite, like spinning up. Yeah. Testing yeah. the full back end. Overnight. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, that would be amazing if you but, went. But I don't, th- so the reason I see that is because I don't think 100% test coverage would be a, a marker point for me. I don't think that would be something that they'd say, oh, our coverage is 60%. But yeah. we've got all this other stuff. You'd be like, "That's still amazing, right?" A hundred percent test coverage is, I think, it's like an it's like a theoretical goal, but you're never going to get. That I goal. think I think you've touched on it a couple of times in this conversation, but I think there's a difference. Both you and I tend to write, or you write a bit of library code, and I write a very small amount of library code. But in general, we're what I would call application developers. We yeah. build software that runs and does a thing and maybe to do that we may build some library code that might get reused between multiple applications i think testing application code and especially like ui code is a bit i want to say pointless but like it depends on what you're doing but it's definitely if you're building a light like if i went into a team that was building a library say i went to like an investment bank in london and it was like some core team that were like working on a thing that like 20 other teams in the company used yeah and they did not have any tests or they didn't have a very comprehensive suite of tests actually i would say i would be pretty shocked and and disheartened and be like oh this is not great this is not great but if i went into a team that was like 
working with like quite closely with some people that had requirements that were changing all the time and yeah. they'd like hack stuff into because what the what their customers really needed was quick response times and tests hinder quick response times yeah. because you're going to have to deliver more and it's going to take longer to build anything so then i would probably be like i guess for me i guess to answer your question it would be how the number of tests fits like the equation of whether they should have written tests. Yeah, so, like, which you described before, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a complicated equation. I don't know if it can be written down. And it's part of it is to do with probabilities in the future, which really gets like finger in the air. Like what's the probability yeah. that this code's going to change? What's the probability or or even like subjective things like, you know, will Dave be annoyed? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, or, or and some like I think that's the reason that software engineering is hard and computers have not yet been able to do it. And good software engineers, like the best software engineers are also in a lot of, especially application development tend to be quite not good with people, but they tend to have a, at least a base level of empathy because really what you're trying to do is figure out the stakeholder or the boss or whoever's in charge. You're trying to think, figure out like, would Marjorie be annoyed by, uh, by <laughs> this decision about to make? Would she, if she understood everything that I knew, and I was acting on. I'm acting on her behalf with all of my knowledge. You should try and do the right thing for Marjorie. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of the. Yeah, and and a, and it just happens to be that a lot of people that are in that position are non-technical people. Yes, and therefore don't appreciate tests, and yeah. also have never been necessarily enlightened about why testing is a good idea but they do care about like how often their system breaks although ugh, there is a human nature i don't know what the thing is but like people there's like that thing called the hero anti-pattern which is like the developer that writes no tests like messes everything up but he's a he or she is a hero when it breaks yeah so they like swoop in and they're like don't worry i've got you and then they're like you yeah know, yeah. Andrew is a great guy because he always he always saves us, even though it's him that's causing all the problems. So yeah, like, so and also he get no one on the team gets on with him, and they're like, "Why are we still?" Yeah, like, well, because when when there's trouble, Andrew comes sweeping in. Yeah, and they're like, and it's that weird how you get friendly or you get well respected by the business owner, but not the other developers yeah. who are like, "You're just messing everything up." And yeah. then you've got like the developer, you know, that sits there quietly, is not a hero, and their code never breaks, and I. And in some ways, they might go unnoticed yeah. because it's like, oh, just works. Everything's, you know, nothing to report. Everything's just worked. But yeah. in theory, that so there's like a human nature element of it. But I think, on if they fully understood the situation, they should like the second option more of like, well, it just worked. I didn't even hear about it. Yeah. It's better than like, oh, this person keeps swooping in and saving everything because they broke it in the first place or because it was broken or rubbish. But it is. It is a very complicated, it's just a very human thing. And definitely anybody that says you should do right tests or you should not write tests. Like if you give it either prescription without context, yeah. it's got to be wrong because yeah. it really must like, yeah, it just, it depends. Like if you're just doing a project for yourself to learn a thing, should you write tests? No, of course not. Like you are just trying to learn a thing. Like why would you waste a bunch of your free time writing tests? So like it just really depends. And then on the opposite end. You know, you're writing the uh, control system for a new Boeing aeroplane. Yeah, write tests. <laughs> <You're gonna be> like, <laughs> Please write tests. One hundred percent. You're probably going to be like, it's, "We can't ship this until it's one hundred percent." Yeah, yeah, and that's covered. completely legit. I think what's happened in the industry is there was a period, and possibly still is a period, where in the scenarios where you should write tests, people didn't. 
Yeah. Because non-technical business people, it appears better to them. And what that's sort of led to is an overcompensation where people have just gone blanket. It, it tends to be more enterprisey developers or developers that work for bigger companies, but they almost sort of don't think about perhaps these other coding scenarios and they're like, you should... And, and I guess the other reason is, is that they probably work with developers that didn't choose not to write tests because they were making a calculated decision. They just couldn't because they were a bit rubbish. And as you said, writing tests is pretty much... It's towards the end of the learning curve of learning to program. Yeah. It's like you need to already know how to program so you can write the implementation code. And then I would say, in general, testing tends to be harder than actually writing the implementation code and may affect how you write the implementation yeah. code. It's not easy. So I guess that a lot of developers have probably been stuck there with someone who's a bit rubbish. Because I, I, I agree with that point. And I, I was going to say it earlier, actually, but I forgot a lot of these big, en- a lot of the perhaps slightly older enterprises like the investment banks we've worked at or the ones I've worked at, they have been through that phase of the business edge pushing them so hard. Yeah, they didn't write any tests. They didn't write any tests. Probably just for the whole of the 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's sort of like that. And then then it's in the culture. And then also they have the problem of like, and then the business are like, why is all of the software that the the IT department deliver here terrible? Yeah. And it's like, well, it's not terrible. It's that, you know, you just have, there there were no tests. And now anytime we make any change, it's highly likely to break stuff. And then, so then you end up with a, the issue like we saw, a li- I saw a little bit, uh, my first place is that then every, every Tom, Dick and Harry is like, you know what, you know, how we're going to fix this. We're going to start again and write a new app Yeah. to do the same thing. And then no, you have, I yeah. I love uh, it. I'm, gu- I'm guilty of it. No, no, no. And, you know, completely makes sense, right? And But you have that problem of, well, now we have three things doing the same thing yeah. because the original one has been around for 15 years does everything that everybody wants, and now we're trying to start again. Mm. And you can't replace that in any sort of sensible time frame. Yeah, it's... And, it's... Then, and like, well, we'll do it right this time, but you never get there because that app never gets accepted. And then you still have the same problem rather than trying to go back and fix the original problem. You're just trying to move... You're just trying to wipe the slate clean and try again, and it just doesn't work. Another unfortunate like um, characteristic of scenarios where you're you probably should write tests and perhaps they're not getting written is it's it's death by a thousand cuts. So like the first time you don't write tests yeah. on a small piece of functionality because the business are like, we need this right now. It kind of makes sense, but then it compounds. It gets, it gets worse and worse. Every time you don't. Every time you don't do it, then mm. you end up in the situation like in my first job where all of a sudden you're like, hang on a minute, a third of like a, a fifth of our developer time is spent not writing code. It's literally running through an Excel spreadsheet. And then you're like, how did we get here? How did we get here? And they yeah. will have got there through, you know, people being aggressive with deadlines. And it's it's kind of short-termism. And so, and in a lot of companies, the culture is short-term, kind of like how, you know, companies go for quarterly earnings and, you know, everyone complains. They're not thinking about where they're going to be in three years. You end up with the same thing with yeah. code where yeah. it's like, well, there'll be a manager whose career really depends on getting a software project delivered this year. Yeah. And then they might then they'll get the promotion and the test will never get written and this you know they'll have created more cost because you know you need to hire a testing team every month when you want to release it but they're not measured it's kind of in, it's an imperfect system they're not measured on all of the things they're they're measured really hard on one thing which was like did the system get delivered by yeah, that date yeah. they're not measured on did you actually increase our software development costs in the long term and this is going to cost us like five million in the next five years because now we need a team twice as big. Yeah. Because everything's a mess. So it's. 
And that's the way these big, you know, the big organizations work because they're, they're like, we have to be able to measure if somebody's worth being promoted or not. Mm. But then that, that measurement, particularly for software development, is imperfect because they, like you say, they tend to go for, did it get delivered and what, or were the client, was the client happy? Yes or no? Yeah. A bit more to it, but not much. But actually, objectively saying, is this developer a good developer, is a really hard question to ask, yeah, to answer, right? Because you you really only get that from working with, like if I was working in a team of, say, 10 developers and we we're all doing the same thing, which I haven't done for a while, you quite quickly realize, not quite quickly, but you, by the fact that you're just with them and, and working with them, you get that sense, right? You can't, you couldn't, you could, I don't think it'd be very easy to write that down in a paragraph yeah. And send it to a manager, like this is why he's good. Yeah, yeah. Because then it, it ends up like the system, the the two guys we said before, right? You've got the guy that sits there quietly, chatty guy, gets on with everybody, but just never any drama. But when there's a critical issue and you know money's flowing out the company, there's this other guy that runs in, fixes it, and gets it back. Because yeah. that's the only time management are actually noticing the whole team. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's and just... then the, they broke the thing, you know, they've written a wrong line of code and then it breaks and then they go in and fix it. They're still the hero. Like, yeah, they're never going to say, oh, it, I screwed up. The people the business know are the people that are there when stuff breaks. Yeah, yeah. Because that's when they care. Because other than that... They're outside, like, out of mind, it's just... Because yeah. other than that, they're like, as long as it arrives... Who cares? Yeah. yeah. Well, who, who worked on it? Don't care. But now it's broken. Where's Andrew when we need him? You know what I mean? I think the only way that... The, these big companies can solve these sorts of problems is we kind of know the sorts of software engineering best practices that teams should be doing like writing <laughs> tests and I don't know maybe agile depending on it you know there's like this certain set you know having a good deployment thing having yeah. having all these things in place and you can minimize the cost of software development over like a five seven year time horizon by doing these sorts of things as opposed to like just going for it, writing a bunch of code, then it starts breaking. Now you need to double the size of your team, and then all of it, you can't deliver more features anymore. So there's downsides in like a, you know a couple of you know months or years away. I think if you put someone who knows what they're doing at the helm and then you trust them, that's the only kind of way to. Because like you say, it's hard to measure month by month because if you're thinking about two or three years down the line, because you get this kind of the people call it churn, but it's like you know you didn't write any tests. And then the system gets really big and it's being used by loads of people. And then all of a sudden you want to change like a really small thing. And you're like, well, this is just going to break everything. And yeah. we can't be sure it's not going to break everything. So it's going to take us like three weeks. Whereas a team that had written a full suite of tests would be like, no problem. Change it for you in like, you know, half an hour. So I think that's a lot of it, actually, when you get to those big systems. I think yeah. you see it there. It's like, we're not sure. They're like, well, can you change it? Well, we can. You've changed it, yes. And it works in that particular case that you've asked about. But there's 5,000 other people over here that we can't, we don't yeah. know if it's going to work anymore. It does give you, I think a big thing, I think you're right. I think in really big companies, big systems, big teams, it gives you a sense of certainty over quite a large requirement set maybe is like the way I'd phrase it. But yeah, like, because yeah, that's a really common case. Like mm. it worked in this particular case that you asked about, <laughs> yeah. but like, there will be someone in accounting that's using this in a way that no one's aware they're even using yeah, it. Yeah, oh like, god. oh god. And then they'll you'll get an email in like three weeks being like, oh, this has stopped working, and you're you know, oh. yeah, yeah, that's the frustration. It's funny, isn't it? I, I haven't worked in a company that big for a long time now, and it's weird. It's actually funny thinking back to those situations that I we were all in. I was definitely in. yeah, it sticks with you, doesn't it? Yeah, that you're like, 
these were bizarre situations to get ourselves into. Yeah, when I was talking to you about the uh, spending a fifth of my working time yeah. testing, I literally felt the dread. I hadn't thought about it for years. I felt the dread rising up into my and chest. I was thinking, you must have told me that at the time because we were living together. We were but, living together at that point. But I don't remember you the Remember pain. when you caught me standing on the balcony with my <laughs> with my arms outspread, just screaming eagle. That, <laughs> that was then. That was then. That was a dark time. <laughs> I, don't, I really don't remember. I obviously remember you working a lot, but I, don't, I didn't. Re- I, I had forgotten that entire yeah, was, thing that you were working on there. There were words I would use to describe it, but it was not good. Yeah, but, um, I did learn a lot though, and I learned. I think the key thing about it's interesting where I trained the guys and I showed them how I think I should do things, which hopefully is pretty decent. Yeah. But then I, one of the things that I think that they still need to get is seeing how to do things badly because. The way that I do things now is almost entirely informed by watching how other people have done things or myself had done things wrong. You don't you don't learn if you're just in an environment where everybody because you don't have that yeah. fear. You don't have that feeling of standing on the balcony, ready, yeah, ready to leap. But that's that thing is that you only see that when you switch, right? We've said before about you know switching, having switched jobs a few times, and it's it's a it's a really big eye opener when you go somewhere else and you see what things people do right and wrong yeah and that's how you learn right and that's how you and then maybe having seen that a few times and i think partially having that course you know having that course in our university career our university um fourth year they were really always about you know they were like testing is the most important thing in the world so that's your starting point and then you're like well this is this is clearly yeah common sense and then i think over time they sort of come together and you go okay i see what they were saying yeah, that was still the theoretical, you know, aim for this. You're never going to get there. But I definitely appreciate tests more. After that course, I didn't really appreciate them at all. No, I thought, no. But then over time, I've gone, yeah, if we'd have wrote, written tests here, we wouldn't have had this huge problem that we've had. Or yeah. when I was uh, at one of the other places, my old places, you'd be like, I was like, we should just write tests because there's only two of us and then no one's going to change this again. So it's like, well, let's just write the test and then it's there. And then when I leave and it's handed over to somebody else, they've got yeah, a, better, they, a better leg to stand on. Yeah, it does. It is helpful for multi-person stuff. Yeah. I think it is like a thing where you can protect future someone else or possibly you. Yeah. I have a memory that lasts about two months when it comes to coding. Look at code from three months ago. It might as well have not written it. It's, it's basically game over. I guess one of the things with the... the with you. Uh, doing JavaScript, you talked before about the um, the linters that you use to make everyone's code look very similar. Mm. But I guess in a lot of places where that isn't the case, you're going to come into code and it be written in a very different way to the way... Mm. I mean, even with linters, right? People can still write code different ways to achieve the same thing. Yes. And you're all going to be like... And I think that's where... I know we joked about it before, but I can imagine where maybe there's a use case for looking at the tests as well because you're like, this is written in a really weird way. And you're like, I think it does this, but I wouldn't have done it this way. So is it definitely doing that thing? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then maybe the tests there just validate that that's what you're doing. Yeah. I um, think that, see, the linter stuff's interesting because it's similar. It's also a check on your code mm. that should probably fail your build and protects people. So it's kind of a similar thing. Yeah. But the big difference is that you can set that up once on one project and then you've got it. So that... So the cost is actually comparatively low over time. So if you're going to work on JavaScript for like three years and in the first week you're like, oh, I'm going to set up a linter and a, and a prettier that I can then reuse on every single project. And for me, I mean, I had four people 
working on projects for me. So the, the, the I probably yeah. spent say like one or two days refining my sort of lint and prettier thing, and the payoff's been huge. Whereas with testing, it's always bespoke. Yeah. yeah to yeah. that bit of code, so the cost is kind of an ongoing, and it, it, it's the cost is deceptively high basically that's a big part of the problem people underestimate it and they say oh the frameworks are really good and this really great but in a lot of scenarios it gets tricky and it and i think that's why i end up one of the reasons i ended up open sourcing some of the stuff i've done is because i'm in that you get to that situation right where you you've written code and you're like well i trust this whether i've written tests or not i know that this code yeah, does yeah. what i want it to do if i don't change it you you know you so know. then you're like well then that's part of my thinking right i was like i've written all this code that we we're using day to day in this job if i open source it add some tests to sort of prove that it does what i say it does because i think from an outsider looking in they're looking for some tests yeah then i think you've got that you're in that situation now where i'm like well if i go and if i need to do this thing again anywhere else i can take that and yeah. i'm already a week, two weeks ahead of if we were just starting from scratch in a new place. Is there anything else for testing or do you think we've put it put it to bed? Yeah, I think it's it, it's a it's a tough one because I think when we listen back, we're going to have contradicted ourselves a lot. <laughs> yeah. The first half we were like, never write tests. Yeah. The half we were like, always write tests. Yeah, but I think that I think that <laughs> summarizes or puts in it, you know, summarizes why it's hard and yeah. why it's hard to know when to do and not to do. Yeah. And I think, like you said, the context of the situation is really important. Yeah. Um, and it is really difficult. And I think it, it's one of those things that there's no right answer. There's no there's no obvious right answer. And that's what makes it tough. Yeah, it's very context specific. Yeah. Like very, very situation on a macro level of what kind of company am I working for and on a micro level of like this function versus that one because it's hard. It's But the the formula is always there and it is about the cost, which is pretty much... The cost is easy to calculate, I think, actually, which is easier, which is how long... How much time, developer time, which basically is proportional to money, yeah. is this thing going to take? The benefit is way more complicated. Yeah, the benefits... Because in, in a lot of cases, the benefits are not really there and that's when you maybe shouldn't write tests and if the benefits are large on a short or a long a lot of times the benefits are long term like we discussed in bigger companies of you know over three or four years you don't build some system that no one wants to touch and no one can change so it's kind of thinking about those benefits over like maybe a longer period or possibly even a shorter term thing and then going is it worth it cost benefit it'd be interesting to see if we can if we can try and put the equation the benefit equation into the show notes after yeah. this whether you can sort of formalize it in any sort of we, way we, we will try and we can what, call it gill's law gill's law what oh, do i get it oh that'd be well, nice. you made up i made think up. you should call it marjorie's law <laughs> yeah well that would be better actually. marjorie's law would be a better name <laughs> yeah we'll call, we'll call it marjorie's law and then we'll we'll have a book published very soon just with that formula just with the, <laughs> the formula i think you i think you could have a go i think it might get a bit waffly i don't know if it could be a formula well that's what i mean but you need probability yeah it might know, be more like, like an algorithm it might be like <laughs> if the probability of like this thing is too high but i think it is probably you could express it as a formula the hard one's going to be the benefits yeah that's what i mean and i think if you it's i think you you have said it you've said it a couple of times i think in this and i think it's it's a really interesting way to think about it because i think the way you verbalized it was probably how i was thinking about it in my head but i hadn't thought about it mm. in those precise terms or precise-ish terms precise-ish yeah <laughs> but we'll get we'll get marjorie's law out to you very soon 
Padre's Law. Imagine if we become famous because of that. You'd be so disappointed. Why we should have called it Gill's Law. Rajasthan says Law. Perhaps doesn't have the ring. I don't know though. It does make it does. It's quite a clever surname. It's clever too surname. many syllables. That's the problem with it. I think you don't remember laws with names with too many syllables. No. Yeah, more. Exactly. Moore's Law. Gill's Law. Marjorie's Law. People would remember. Mainly for the entertainment factor. Because it's good. That, I don't think there's anybody called Marjorie or younger than forty. No. No, you don't meet people called Marjorie, do you? At sort of work. No, maybe at work. <laughs> All right. So cool. I, think, I think that's it then. Yep. Cool. Exit zero.